0: Hello and welcome to today's episode of The Quad Shot, where we help you down and digest the day's most pertinent cancer news. It's March 2nd, 2020. Welcome to the QuadCast. I'd just like to take this opportunity to thank everyone for tuning in. We really appreciate your support and your encouragement. We at the Quad Shot remain dedicated to bringing you the latest and greatest in cancer news so that you can continue to treat your patients in the most up-to-date and data-driven manner. We are grateful to you for all that you do. With that being said, let's dive in. First up, breakthrough. In a breakthrough move to incorporate radiation into the pharma drug development rat race, The FDA has granted a breakthrough therapy status to the systemic agent DEBIO-1143. DEBIO-1143. If you're like us, you might be asking, Debbie who? So get ready for this double negative. DEBIO-1143 is technically an antagonist of inhibitor of apoptosis proteins. IAPs. So, in other words, it ramps up apoptosis to serve as an effective chemotherapy and radiation sensitizer by not only killing more cancer, but doing so in an organized fashion that promotes anti tumor immunity. The novel indication, concurrent to radiation in the upfront setting, for this breakthrough approval is based on the impressive results from a phase two trial that was reported at ESMO in 2019. Thanks to Boris at all. In this study, 96 patients receiving standard upfront radiation concurrent with cisplatin for locally advanced head and neck cancers, of which 88% were HPV positive, patients received either wo 1143 or a placebo orally for the first 14 days of each three-week cycle of cisplatin. At 18 months. The primary endpoint of local regional control was significantly improved with the addition of debio 1143 The odds ratio was 2.6. And while it's still too early to tell, median, progression-free, and even overall survival times are trending in the same direction. The bottom line is, in a landmark decision, the FDA has fast-tracked a novel drug Specifically, as a radio sensitizer. Debio 1143 Up second, N1 plus HER2 equals b Yeah, I think we gotta work on the name, but I digress. We have spent decades defining the role of post-mastectomy radiation in the setting of nodal disease. All to have it turned on its head, with the arrival of game-changing HER2-targeted systemic therapies, which is great, albeit somewhat frustrating for the data-driven among us. NSABP B51 is a crucial ongoing trial designed to clarify the benefit of regional nodal irradiation in the setting of a nodal complete path response to neoadjuvant treatment. But who knows what will be on the market by the time it reports. In the meantime, we have an opportunity to look at this secondary analysis of the HERA trial as published in the Red Journal 2020 by Jow. et al. that established in 2005 the overwhelming benefit of adjuvant HER2 targeted therapy. Among over 5,000 patients enrolled, over 3,400 received adjuvant trastuzumab and over 1,600 of those were post Now remember, this was before neoadjuvant chemo was all the rage. The primary endpoint was the impact of post-mastectomy radiation administered on a case-by-case basis on local regional control for the 1,600 cases. So, as expected, the 58% receiving post-mastectomy radiation had significantly worse disease characteristics. Nevertheless, among those with N1 disease which was just over 500 people, survival free from local regional recurrence was a soaring 97% after post-mastectomy radiation versus just 90% otherwise at 10 years follow-up. What's more, death was reduced by one-third with survival measured at 87% after post-mastectomy radiation versus 83% otherwise. There was no distinction seen among those with n0 disease and virtually everyone with n2 plus disease received postmastectomy radiation unfortunately we have no way of knowing which of these women would have had a complete response to new adjuvant therapy and whether this would ameliorate their benefit from postmastectomy radiation the bottom line is even with her two targeted therapy on board there is a clear benefit to postmastectomy radiation for N1 HER2 positive disease. Up next, TIME is on our side. RTOG twelve O three, also known as the TIME C trial, randomized patients receiving post-op pelvic radiation for endometrial or cervical cancer to either standard 3D conformal radiation or IMRT. The main goal was to reduce bowel dose, really bowel toxicity, with IMRT. This was measured as a patient reported outcome at five weeks using the bowel domain of EPIC and was found to be significantly lower with the utilization of IMRT. GI toxicity was also scored using CTCAE by both patients and clinicians, and while we're cautioned, against over-interpreting differences in patient and clinician reporting, this study gives us a very interesting comparison, as published in JCO 2020 by Jung et al. There were major differences in both the frequency and severity of reported toxicity. Patients reported significantly higher rates of any abdominal pain, any diarrhea, and any fecal incontinence, Clinician reported grade 3 plus abdominal pain was less than 3%, diarrhea was less than 5%, and fecal incontinence was only 0%. So all of these in the clinician reported group were quite low. In contrast, 22% of women reported at least severe abdominal pain, 43% frequent or constant diarrhea, and 7% frequent incontinence. As with the primary EPIC outcome, IMRT was associated with significantly lower rates of patient reported outcomes on CTCAE diarrhea and incontinence at the end of radiation. However, again like EPIC, those differences became less over time. The bottom line is the reported frequency and perceived severity of acute pelvic radiation toxicity is much greater for patients than their clinicians, highlighting a more distinct, even if it's short-term, advantage with IMRT utilization. Up next, under the radar. Ah, yes, the TROG radar trial, the study that keeps on giving. While the main goal of the study was to determine if 18 versus six months of androgen deprivation therapy reduced distant relapse. A variety of radiation dosing schemes were allowed, which provides us the opportunity to explore differences in outcome based on radiation dose. The schemes, all at two gray per fraction, were declared up front and included 66 gray, 70 gray, and 74 gray total, or 46 gray external beam with a 6.5 gray times 3 fraction HDR boost. It looks like the 10-year analysis of outcomes are going to fuel the ongoing debate of brachytherapy for high-risk disease. Compared to the 40% of men who received 70 gray, the 20% who received an HDR boost had significantly lower rates of distant progression And prostate cancer mortality. Compared to those who received 74 gray, these outcomes were only numerically better but not statistically better. Importantly, they found no apparent interaction between ADT and radiation dose with respect to distant relapse. The benefit of 18 months of ADT was independent of radiation dose even in the setting of HDR. The bottom line is, the distant progression benefit of longer androgen deprivation therapy was independent of radiation dose in the TROG radar trial, and patients who received non-randomized HDR boosts achieved better clinical outcomes, thanks to Joseph et al., Red Journal, 2020. Up next, embrace invasive. When it comes to cervical cancer, quote-unquote advanced surgical techniques appear to have done just the opposite for disease outcomes. There is consistent data that minimally invasive laparoscopic robotic surgery is associated with worse disease outcomes. This large multi-institutional retrospective study as published in JCO 2020 by Uppel et al., looked at over 800 women with stage 1A1 through 1B1 cervical cancer and took stock of outcomes based upon type of hysterectomy performed. In the real world, there's always bias in selection of surgical approach. And as a result, the 30% of patients who had an open hysterectomy had larger tumors, than those undergoing minimally invasive surgery. When accounting for these differences, minimally invasive surgery was yet again associated with a significant increase in risk of recurrence. The bottom line is, this study further supports the association of minimally invasive hysterectomy and inferior disease outcomes for women with early stage cervical cancer. Up next, if the genes fit. Forget FLOT, forget radiation, apparently. This phase 2 trial, as published in JAMA Oncology 2020 by Katanaki et al., established safety and efficacy of perioperative, pharmacogenomically dosed Fulfirinox for locally advanced esophageal and gastric cancers. So, what kind of Fulfirinox? Apparently, there is a gene UGT1A1 that encodes an enzyme important for metabolizing irinotecan. There are normal, intermediate, and slow metabolizing genotypes, and they can receive normal, low, and even lower dosing of irinotecan accordingly. And that's what happened here, where 33 out of 36 patients, or 92%, achieved an R0 resection, and 25% had less than 10% residual tumor at the time of surgery. The bottom line is genotype-dosed perioperative fulfirinox shows promising efficacy for locally advanced gastroesophageal cancer while maximizing safety. Up next, frequent driver miles. Some patients receiving daily radiation have surely earned some travel points. This aptly named first author used SEER data to quantify just how far some women with breast cancer are traveling for their treatments. It includes over 52,000 women treated between 2004 and 2013 and measures distance from patient address to treatment address using none other than the sophisticated tool of Google Maps. It's no surprise that patients in rural zip codes were farther away from the closest treatment facility, but they were actually more than four times farther than their metropolitan counterparts at an average of 22 versus five miles. The bottom line is, Until Stanford puts their electron waveguide chip on a LINAC truck, social support measures to aid rural patients with onerous daily travel for treatment remains an important tenet of comprehensive radiation oncology care, thanks to Longacre et al. in the Journal of Rural Health 2019. Up next, Not Pretty. The response rates of imatinib among certain populations of patients with GIST is, well, just that not pretty. That's why a novel oral drug, avapritinib, is now approved specifically for GIST with PDGFRA exon 18 mutations after a Phase 1 trial reported a response rate approaching 90%. FDA. 2020. Up next, standardized. In a good and easy way. The first of its kind, iRock standardized curriculum for radiation oncology residency orientation successfully improved objective knowledge on topics such as simulation, contouring, plan evaluation, and quality assurance across 228 residents that were surveyed. Not too shabby for eight hours of content. Check out more details in the Red Journal 2020, thanks to Dan Golden and Roxig. Up next, another hurdle to fertile. Let's talk about immune checkpoint inhibitors. This editorial in the Oncologist 2020 by Duma and Lambertini, argues for appropriate counseling on fertility preservation, even when a patient is planned to be treated with immune checkpoint inhibitors in lieu of cytotoxic chemotherapy, given the myriad of effects that immune checkpoint inhibitors can have on both endocrine and reproductive organs. Finally, safe house. Philadelphia is set to open the first government-condoned location for drug abusers to use their drugs of choice in a quote-unquote safe, supervised space. Check out more details in the Allen article, NPR 2020. This concludes today's episode of The Quad Shot. If you like what you've heard, please consider giving us a five-star rating and subscribing to our podcast. Also, check out our website at www.quadshotnews.com and subscribe to our newsletter. We'll catch you next time.